Welcome to American Players Theater Talk Backs to Go. I'm Buzz Kemper, and I invite you to take a walk up the hill with Orange Schroeder and me as Orange talks with director Brenda DeVita and actors Colleen Madden and David Daniel about APT's 2018 production of Born Yesterday by Garson Kanan. We're going to be talking about Born Yesterday, and I have with me uh, Brenda DeVita, who's directing the play, Colleen, who's playing Billy Dawn, and David Daniel, who is playing Harry Brock. I'd like to start by talking a little bit about the playwright, who's not someone that we know very well. Uh, Garson Kanan was an American playwright, but he was also a jazz musician, a director, a burlesque comedian, and an actor. Do you see those uh, influences in his play? Yes, I think we do. Uh, I think he puts, he's, I don't know, I think because he thinks that he doesn't know anything, which I think is really a fun thing that he likes to talk about, like he never ever really knew much. It's kind of one of his favorite kind of conversations to have is that he would start things and not finish them. He was never as good as the people around him. Um, I don't even know if he finished, I may be wrong, but finished high school. I'm not really sure, but um, he's a brilliant man. And I think that he infuses his plays with humor. He infuses the plays with comedy. He infuses the plays with this play with music. Yeah, I think it has a lot of, and he says a jazz musician, one of the lines is that, you know, a jazz musician, you'd be better off with that jazz musician. Um, it's funny we don't know who he is. I think it's fascinating because he was incredibly successful and incredibly um, well-known among his peers in, on Broadway and in um, Hollywood. So it's funny that as a, you know, that we don't have the kind of understanding of him, of the size of his career to match that. It's interesting to me. And this play was actually amazingly successful. It debuted um, on Broadway in 1946. And uh, I don't know how many performances APT is doing, but on Broadway there were 1,642 performances of this show. But 1946 was kind of an interesting time in American history. Can you talk a little bit about um, why you think, what was happening in America at that time and why this was such a big hit? I talked about that at the director's chat um, a little bit because it, it's such a fascinating time. For those of us that didn't know a lot about that time, I did a little bit of research. I'm sure people know tons about it, but it was such a transitional period. It was this incredible, incredible pride of coming off the war, so there was that. And then there was also just leftover fear and anxiety about what was coming and about what they had seen. So um, at the same time the UN is being developed, the CIA is being developed. It's, it's a, and McCarthyism is coming right on the heels of this. So there's, it's a fascinating time of like, oh, here we are, we're back. Um, and, and, and consequently, uh, women that were out working were going back home. And uh, a lot, it was a lot, a big time of transition, of relief and then kind of undertow of fear of like, that could happen here, could that happen here? What's going on with Russia? I mean, the whole, the whole thing was just, the relief overtook anything else, but the under, undercurrent of fear was, was very palpable. And it was a time of, um, you know, capitalism won the day. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, their industry was booming during the war, and um, a lot of small industry really made it big. And then, of course, in the sort of tattered vestiges after the war, a lot of um, sort of carpetbaggers um, really kind of jumped in and um, and uh, made a lot of money. And uh, at the same time, there was this, as Brenda says, this great fear of communism growing communism that had, you know, replaced the powers, some of the powers in Europe. So there was sort of greed and fear at work. And women had only had the vote for about two and a half decades yep. at that point. Um, 
so there was uh, and there you know still a lot a lot of sexism and a lot of um uh, misunderstanding of a woman's place and so you have all these things uh, in place at the beginning of this play and talk a little bit about your uh, character uh, Billy Dawn as um a, a woman at that time period, but she's an ex-chorus girl. She's been described by some people as a ditzy blonde. Um, is she kind of an Eliza Doolittle in the play? I mean, what, how do you see her? <laughs> she is kind of an Eliza Doolittle, and that that comparison is made a lot um, with this play. But what I think is interesting about the difference between Pygmalion and Born Yesterday, in Pygmalion, um, Eliza's is made to look and speak differently, not necessarily to think differently. She does learn that on her own, and I think she resents her pu- puppeteers who didn't train her to think. In this play, um, Billy Dawn, at the beginning, at the outset, she simply wants to learn how to talk good. Mm-hmm. And um, she, she gains a mentor, and that mentor doesn't actually change the way she speaks at all. He guides her to think for herself. So that's the difference, mm-hmm. one of the differences. And yes, she is a ditzy blonde, and that's how she likes it at the top of the show. She comes from nothing. She comes from a, um, a single-parent family. Her father raises four children. They have very little money. He's a meter reader for the gas company. Um, they live in the city, and... Um, she has nothing, and she wants more. And uh, she becomes a chorus girl, so she's not smart enough or good enough to actually get any higher than the chorus girl. And at the time, some of the research we did, or the dramaturg did for us, the chorus girls in New York were not just on Broadway. I mean, there was a there was a very kind of gray area <laughs> in terms of what else they did and how else they made money. So when she meets this um, uh, this man who's kind of a a, a, a junkyard owner um, looking to gain more junkyards, he's got ambitions that way. He's got some money and spends it on her. So they spend about the next decade together, and that's Harry Brock. So that leads us to actually uh, talk a little bit about Harry Brock. Uh, he's been played by actors ranging from Edward Asner to Jim Belushi. Um, how are you going to uh, bring him alive, David? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, it, uh, any, any role you play on stage is defined as much by the person playing the role as the people that are on stage with you. And so whatever Harry Brock turns out in, in our production, he's going to be defined by, by what Colleen brings, what John Phillips brings, what Brenda brings to the table. So it's not m- merely my idea about it. And I was also thinking about, we were talking about, um, we were talking about why isn't he more well-known today? And uh, Yates has got this great quote. I'm going to mangle it. I apologize. It's the ceremonies of innocence are being drowned. The ceremonies of innocence are being drowned. He wrote that in 1916 during the Easter, the Easter riots. And a poet uh, today in Ireland could say that is exactly true of right now, mm-hmm. uh, of Ireland right now. They can just see that, that so little has changed over the years. And I think when you look at this play, 
so we said it in 47, and you look at today and the things that Harry Brock does as a businessman working the back channels of, of politics and how politics shouldn't be like that, and it should be the control. And so little has changed. And uh, I mean, that's the core tenet of APT is that we find those plays that are classic coal, that those themes and ideas, and especially the way those themes are, and ideas are presented through language, that they stay with us for many, many years. And so I'm hoping that after this production, people will actually go, who wrote this again? I'd like to see some more of these things. But back to the original question, I don't know how this Harry's going to turn out. He's going to be loud. And <laughs> he's going to be barefoot because uh, apparently that is a requirement of this role is that you be barefoot. Barefoot. Yes, that's uh, yeah, that's the hardest part of this job so far. <laughs> <laughs> he's taking his shoes off all the time. Picking his toes. Picking his toes. <laughs> I I feel like Harry Brock and Billy are. I mean, when you, in the hands of these guys, they are originals. I mean, I think we have, um, what I love is that we're trying to not do stereotypical dumb blonde, stereotypical, um, you know, uh, boorish greed. I, they're very specific to these actors who happen to be pretty brilliant and their facility to make them more complicated than I sometimes have seen them played. And certainly then in the movie, I feel like um, where it's allowed to be pretty, you know, s simply put because the camera is right here. Um, these guys are, are really going after the originality and, and kind of true to them and their own personal relationship, quite honestly, shows up on stage quite a bit between Kali and Didi. And there's some domestic violence, a, a minor part of the story, but um, that can make a contemporary audience uncomfortable. Um, how do you handle that? Well, it should make us uncomfortable. <laughs> yes, and please I think do, it, yeah. I think uh, it was written to make people uncomfortable. We've actually, we think we understand what the, what the original and um, the original kind of d domestic violence was like in this play. And we've lightened it up a little bit, I think, because it actually, um, it's got much more of a sting today than it might have mm -hmm. um, decades ago. Yeah, but still trying to honor that. I saw a production where they cut all the violence out of it, I'm sure due to this question. And I think that it was um, problematic because, because a man, what I think a man like Harry Brock, who is used to, getting what he wants, forcing what he wants, not considered, not, con not considering actually thinking about how it will affect other people. Like he has the inability to actually empathize or reason or that once those men who get everything they want or women um, are backed into a corner, the last, the last response and only response is, is force, which is what Garson Kanan, I think, was speaking to when he put the violence in the middle of a comedy like this, because it is kind of completely unlike most plays that are this kind of comedic of comedic value that have this kind of undertow of violence. I think he's responding again to the time, which is he didn't want to just put a play out there that was about fun and aren't we funny? Isn't this a great time? He wanted to honor the fact that he was sitting in Berlin writing this play, thinking he was writing his own, you know, all's quiet or something important, you know, something important about the war and. He wrote this play, and um, I think he was trying to honor all the complicated times, the times he was in, and that's why I think it's that's why it's still here. I think there are a lot of comedies from that era that were very funny at the time, and I think this one survived because of, because of his willingness to go there. And violence, violence on stage is always tricky, but violence in a comedy yes. is even trickier. And so, so the p particular piece of violence we're talking about is a slap in particular, this one uh, piece that we're going to talk about right now. Um, 
And so we've done that slap. We probably have about seven or eight different versions that we've gone through because we have to be able to recover. We have to be able to still go on with a comedy. It can't be too light, can't be too heavy. So we've spent a lot of time finding the different shades of what leads up to it, what it looks like in and of itself, how we recover from that. We spend a lot of time balancing that. And it's also interesting for those productions that cut that violence. It's, it's odd to me that you would cut the violence and yet leave the verbal assault mm-hmm. that is, is, I mean, the whole play from Harry, there's so much verbal assault towards her that the, the physical violence can seem light in comparison to what he verbally how he verbally abuses her. So it's an interesting balance and something that we're and playing I, with. And yeah. I do think it's necessary. I mean, look, the, the nut of the play, I think, is, um, is a, a, a human being discovering that, first of all, uh, greed and government don't go together well. It doesn't govern a people well. And that she's been quietly, complicitly part of, part of the machine. So she wants to take herself out and, and of, of, the, of that mix and that there's, she doesn't get to without risk. Um, that's great. Yeah. So that's I think great. that that's yeah. Yeah. important. And, and even though there is a moral to this and, and it's kind of an indictment of capitalism, it is also a fun romp and something that, that people are <laughs> yeah. going to enjoy. That's the, that's the trick of this. That's why it requires actors like these guys, and I, I think I believe. it's so important that there are plays like this so that it's not all Sturm and Drang. So yes. that it gives us, the audience, hope to say, yeah, me too. As opposed to, oh, good Lord, I can't bear it. Yeah, I'm I mean, just going to go I, home and put my, you know, my head under my pillow. That's the thing. I mean, we, I really, I see real hope in this play. I mean, I love Billy Dawn. I think Holly loves Billy Dawn. I love her. Love her. And I had a conversation with my daughter this morning who said, you know, I, everyone thinks I have this great personality, but I also have this brain. And it's, it, when you say, oh, you, you're so able, you have such a great personality, you're so people. No, I have this brain, too. And I think that, that, that we really were devoted to Billy Dawn not being just a, just turned into something else. She is herself. She is mm-hmm. funny and lively and curious and um, sexual. And mm-hmm. and so that's a really big thing to, to honor that person while they get bigger and not smaller or change themselves. And I think that's important. It's going to be a wonderful play to see up on the hill. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Talkbacks to Go is a production of Orange Tree Imports and Audio for the Arts. Our theme music is Er by Steve Tibbetts, and it appears here by permission of the artist, courtesy of ECM Records. Please find us on iTunes and YouTube under APT Talkbacks to Go. With Orange Schroeder, I'm Buzz Kemper. Thank you for listening.